so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get on the better nails. Uh, Brittany's going to put the 40 pound block of concrete on my chest. Lauren is going to take the 12 pound sledgehammer, break the concrete block into millions of pieces, and according to the law of conservation of energy, I should be okay. But we should talk you out of it. No, no, no. no, he has a helmet now. Oh. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. 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 podcast. My name is Shanti Branch and I'm really glad you've joined us. Today's guest is Dr. Tim DePonte. Uh, Dr. Tim and I go way back. You know, when I first became a teacher, uh, I learned about this opportunity to travel um, as a teacher. You know, when I left engineering, I thought I'm never going to be able to travel again. I ain't got no money. I, how am I going to save anything? Because I'm barely making anything to survive. Like there was a lot of stuff happening internally as I was making this decision to follow my heart. Uh, but a teacher told me, look, Ashanti, after you teach for five years, you can apply for Fulbright and it's an exchange program. So a teacher from that country will come here and you will go there. And, and I'm like, all right, okay, I can get some travel in. And so I applied to travel to either India or Mexico. Now I got to say to both. Um, with India, I needed only English language. With Mexico, I needed Spanish language, language, and I had enough Spanish language to qualify for Mexico. The challenge with Mexico is that Mexico was a one-year program. I, I couldn't be away from Ever Forward for one year. Now, India was seven months, so it allowed me to come back to Ever Forward and still complete our 24-hour relay challenge, our college tour, and be there for graduation. So, even though there were some uh, frustrated students when I told them I was leaving for seven months, uh, I knew that I was going to be back in time to make sure that we completed all of our big events and all of our big events usually in the spring. Tim was one of the teachers who, uh, one of the eight educators who were accepted to India. And we met up three times in India. Um, and we stayed in touch over the last 15 years. That was 2007 when I got to um, go to India to teach. I still have connections with students who I taught in India and still have connections with Dr. DePonte. Uh, he's an educator. Uh, he's a father. Um, and he's a, a person who really understands that there's more to teaching than just academics. And in this conversation, as you know, we talked to some educators recently, several of them. We're getting the understanding and more about how teaching profession, how teachers and educators, how we have to navigate our own masks as well. And so this conversation actually gets a little academic. I mean, we, we start talking about law of conservation of energy and the bed of nails. So if, you, if you've never seen or heard about a bed of nails, he's going to tell you all about it. We talk about some other stuff, that he, some other titles that he named. I'm not even going to try and name all those things. Um, but what we talk about is how connecting with students is so important. And I guess I was already kind of getting excited about 
this episode, but um, this episode is also important because we're recording it the week of um, what took place in Uvalde in Texas. And, and Tim is actually, he was recording from Texas. And so we spend some time there as well. And so as we touch on these topics in this conversation, uh, I just want to invite each of you as you're out there, if you're parents, if you're educators, if you're community people, um, to please uh, share this episode with somebody. Um, please recommend a teacher that we should talk to in this work. Please nominate somebody who you think would um, be a good guest for us to have a conversation with about their own masks as well. Whether they're an educator, teacher, administrator, maybe they're a student, maybe there's a, a teenager out there that you know that we should connect with. You help us to know who you want to be hearing from and your your ability to connect us with those people are going to be powerful because you may already know them. Um, if you're a first-time guest and you have never listened to the episode, we're going to talk about the front and the back of our mask. We're going to talk about the Million Mask Movement is a campaign that we created to help people build connection. The front of the mask, which are the things that we gladly let the world see, and the back of the mask, the things that we don't usually talk about or let people see. I'm really thankful for Tim exploring and, and sharing that it was kind of challenging uh, for him as a 66-year-old man to think about what's happening behind the scenes. And I'm really thankful for him sharing it with us. And so hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for being a part of this movement. Please like, share, subscribe. And if you can write us a review, we really appreciate it. It's going to help our um, a podcast get in front of more people. And we thank you for that. Please enjoy today's episode with Dr. Tim DePonte. And we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. Tim DuPonte, it is so good to see you. Welcome to the Taking Off the Mask podcast. Uh, hi, Ashanti. It's always good to see you. Oh, man. Well, Tim, you know what? We're, we're going to kind of get into how we know each other, but will you introduce yourself to folks so they will know who you are? And then um, I'm, I'm really excited for us to get into this conversation. Uh, I'm Tim DuPonte. I, I live in Houston, Texas. I've I retired from the public schools in Houston after 32 years of teaching, and from there I taught six and a half years at the Harris County Juvenile Detention Center, and uh, last year, because of cutbacks in the county education budget, I am now teaching at Incarnate Word Academy. It's a Catholic all-girls school here in Houston, Texas, so I went from the convicts to the convent. Mm, wow. And I imagine we're going to jump into that I, that experience sure. in the juvenile detention because I um we've been doing some work there this year. Thank you. Man. And listen, look, Tim and I, we've known each other like and I've not seen you since 2000 and like face to face right. like in like since 2008, right? That's after when we left Correct. India, right? Right. So, uh how about you want to tell them how we met? Oh. Uh, Ashanti and I were both in the Fulbright Teacher Exchange Program. He was based in Chennai, correct? Yeah. yeah. There were eight uh, American teachers who exchanged positions with uh, an Indian teacher in the same discipline. And uh, 
I was in New Delhi with my 10-year-old son, and Ashanti was basically a, a rock star in Chennai. Uh, <laughs> everyone loved Ashanti immediately, including my 10-year-old son, who still thinks Ashanti is the coolest man who ever oh. lived. Oh, man. he Your son was amazing. It was so... I think only two of the... Maybe two or three of the folks had brought brought their families and or who had families. I didn't have a family, so right. Um, and it was so great to like. I was like, "You brought your whole family!" Like, I was just amazing to like people who did that experience to like come there all the way across the the world, bring their family, and it was just like I only I was hard enough for me moving myself, you know. Well, well I would the others, uh, Paul and Pat, who brought their families. Yeah. Um, they also brought their wives as well as their children with them. But I was a single parent with Matthew and it's difficult being a single parent, no matter what the circumstances are and being a single parent in a developing country where you cannot always drink the water was even more challenging watching after Matthew and making sure that his welfare and health and safety were taken care of also. So it gave me an even greater appreciation for my mother, who basically raised seven children by herself. Just mm-hmm. being a single parent for um, for a semester was quite an experience. Man, I was so, and it was all every time we got together. I think we got together two, two definitely two times, maybe three. I know yeah. once in uh, Manipal and then once in Delhi for the kickoff. Right. And so and, uh, it was just uh, so... another time after that. That's right. I think I was a clo- yeah. the closing, the closing yeah. ceremony. Yeah, and just a beautiful experience of connection and and the fact that we still are connected fifteen years later. Um, you know, we haven't seen each other. We stay in touch by emails and talks, and so sure. so I'm so excited to have you here on the show. And um, I know you mentioned this is your first podcast. So first of all, thank you for being willing to have your first podcast experience with me. And, um, and you know, this conversation is not an interview, so it's an opportunity for us to just to connect and. Talk about these masks, right? I think even when I had re- started the podcast, when I started the when I came to India, two thousand seven, I was I had just started the Ever Forward Club, like you know, right. four years before that, two thousand four. <laughs> so it was a brand new organization, and I was just trying to figure it out. Um, and I was like, leaving it was really hard. So what I felt like I was leaving behind was I was leaving behind the Ever Forward Club, and having to tell those students, "Hey, I'm not going to be here next year." Like it, it, it was a, it was a, I didn't expect the emotions that were going to come. I mean, I, I, and it was almost like, how do I, it felt, it felt heartfelt, but it also felt like, uh oh, I didn't expect them to take it so hard, you know? And so leaving them felt like leaving family behind, you know? And Mm -hmm. so, um, so I was so, I was like, I could have brought them all, all of you, come on, we go, go, (laughs) we go all go to India for a semester abroad. That would have been a great wild. I, I definitely am not prepared for that kind of experience yet. You know, right? I left but, yeah. my wife and uh, younger son. George has special needs um, back in Houston for that time too. So yeah, yeah, I understand what it was like leaving family. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm I'm so glad that we get to jump into this conversation. You know, you as an educator, and we've been actually been interviewing several edu, like not even planned, like. We talked about interviewing more educators, but just recently we've been interviewing a lot more educators. And I think that what we are seeing in our schools and what we know post-pandemic is um, what I believe and what I see (laughs) um, 
is that our kids are in such a deep need for emotional and social supports, right? And I think that yeah. uh, schools get stuck into the academic, which is absolutely important, and sometimes at the expense of the social and w- emotional well-being of, of of students. And I think, you know, some I think you, as you probably experience now at this school you're at now, compared to where you were before, like if this kid is not emotionally present, th- their academics are probably going to have some effect. It's going to affect their academics in some way, you know. Of course, yes. And so this mask, you and I get to talk about the our masks first, and maybe, you know, as we kind of like explore, you know, how they show up in our own lives, then maybe we can, you know, talk about education. Because I think right now, in more than ever, and I, I didn't make the connection. Actually, when we signed you, when we when we scheduled this, <laughs> what we're dealing with in the world right now hadn't hadn't happened, right? So, what's happening in our, you know, just giving everybody a timeline. You know, this is a uh, May twenty sixth. You know, and we just had a uh sometimes even hard to talk about it i feel like sometimes it's even awkward to even name it you know um i feel my emotions yeah. actually rising um i feel the same way uh you're talking about the massacre in uvalde yeah. and massacre is a very powerful word but i don't think there's any word that really can justify the horror of this. Uh, you know, I'm I live in Texas, and I, you know, uh, I like Houston, uh, but it is harder to get a six pack of beer than it is a AR-15. I, I was an Army medic, and I have seen what an M16 can do to a a human being. Uh, And a lot of people don't really appreciate that. Uh, You know, at 21, if you're 18, you cannot rent a car, but you can buy a M6, M16 or automatic rifle. There's a disconnect there. Yeah. Yeah. Can't rent a car. Can't even have a drink <laughs> without, right. without you know without all right. the things that they make you hold up to. And then right. they, so you know today is a real day. And I think um thank you for being here. And I'm super excited about this conversation. So our guests get to decide who goes first. So you you either you go first or you want me to go first. Um and and sharing the mask. And then after we'll just share the mask and kind of talk about any pieces that stand out for you. And then the conversation will kind of go where wherever, wherever it's meant to go. Um. I'll, I'll, I'll lead off. Um, okay. you know, the lead off better in baseball occasionally <laughs> because I was not a power hitter. Awesome. Uh, my mask. Uh, so how about do, do this? Uh, show the front. Just like fold it, maybe fold it back oh, so you can just sorry. show the front. No, it's okay. It's just like, we'll leave, we'll leave the suspense to oh, see okay. in the back later. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah uh, there you go. Can you see that, Ashanti? I can, I can. Okay. Uh, I'm not much of an artist, and it shows a happy guy with a baseball hat. Um, says, I'm a happy, I'm a teacher, I'm educated. That's uh, three words that you know people might use to describe me. Uh, the back, I really had to think about this. It mm. took me a long time to think of three words that uh, I don't want or 
uh, people don't necessarily see. Um, insecure, uh, yeah. a lot of family issues, brothers, sisters, well, mostly brothers. Uh, and mm. my father was very physically abusive. So I've had, uh, you know, some trauma in my life, um, a lot. Mm. So, you know, and I'm willing to talk about that. Um, you know, uh, it took me years of therapy to get over a lot of this, but, uh, you know, that's something that we have to deal with each day. Yeah. Thank you. Mm, thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I, and I think I, you helped me figure where I was going to go on the back of mine as well. Like, um, and I'm going to jump into that too. And I'll, uh, I'll show you the front. Uh, this is the front of my mask. Um, I wrote, this is what I drew. I don't know what that is right now. Energetic, serious, and caring. Uh, I would yeah. I would agree with that. <laughs> and ironically, <laughs> the, the E and the C, I, this it was not planned, I was literally, but there's there's an E here, an E, and then there's oh. a C right there. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yes. It's kind of like Picasso. <laughs> All right, don't, don't give me don't give don't get me started. I'm gonna have to save this for some for somebody to to buy later. Okay. Um, and then the back, the back, uh, energetic, serious, caring. I think when I thought about like like lately, I've been really thinking about the caring part, right? Like I am really my heart is open, and like I care a lot about not only the state of education, the state of schools, the state of young men who are emotionally overloaded with life. But I put caring last, and I think that sometimes, um, because I get so like because I feel it so deeply, I almost push caring back to the to behind because I think I would just be I may be crying all the time, like just what I feel, and I have to get to work, and I got to do stuff, and I got things to do, and I got business, you know, I got an organization to run, and I almost have to feel like sometimes I have to. De compartmentalize what I, who I am, like the caring part of myself. Okay. When I get home at night, then I can think about and look on you know, the news and watch some stuff and just feel. But during the day I'm like, Hey, I got stuff to do. I got an organization to run. And I'm almost like the caring part of myself. I, I, I keep it behind sometimes. Um, anyway, and that's interesting. So I'm, I'm going to show you what I put on the back. Cause this is what the back, the things I don't normally show. Uh, oh, sad. Yeah worry and family drama and um and yeah and i think that i might have a father growing up but I, my mom got married when i was like 11 or 12 and there was a lot of drama with the man she married um in my life it turned into kind of a, a really horrible season of my life i would say um but sad and worry is one that is kind of really pressing today, pressing into me today. Like I'm, I'm not talking about it. I am trying to figure out how to talk about it. I, I want to talk about it. And so I think those are things I'm carrying right now a lot. I'm carrying uh, the sadness and the worry for kids all over the country who are, and parents who are having to send off their little kids and the worry that they're having in their minds as they drive off to work and knowing that they just hope, you right? I don't, Yeah. I don't know, you know, just you wonder how many people are 
at work not even fully present because they're just worried if their kids are okay at their it's like how much how much collective energetic pool does that pull on our and our, our people in this country and then people all over the world but definitely people here who have seen experience and people right there in that city and the cities around you know so those are the things that are really present for me right now yeah I guess one of the, you know, this is not an interview, so I, I guess. Oh, okay. Um, no, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, 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 this is more. I mean, there'll be quite, maybe you have a question. I have a question, but I, I think about this a lot when I think about you know education and teachers and schools and and how we we do this activity with schools all over, right? We we go into schools, we um, we have students make a mask, we kind of uh, mix up the masks, and we invite some students to come up and read some masks. And what we often find, even at, you know, private schools, public schools, charter schools, juvenile detention schools, like, I think people are sometimes shocked that people around them are going through real stuff because people get really good at putting on that emotional mask, you know? Yeah. Uh, I put down insecure on mine. Um, and I'm a teacher. I have two masters, you know, I have my doctorate. But I always felt that, uh, you know, my father would always call me stupid, stupid, you know. Um, the only good piece of advice he ever gave me was, uh, you don't have much of a brain, so you might as well learn how to use your hands. Mm -hmm. So I took a lot of shop classes in high school, which has served me well in that respect. But uh, I always felt that even though I have all these, you know, diplomas on the wall that uh, I, for some reason, am just faking it. And someday someone's going to pull back the curtain and, hey, you know, uh, we need to, uh, we looked at your dissertation and, uh, you know, it's all wrong or whatever. Uh, I dated a woman for a while. She was a Barnard College. She uh, had graduated from Barnard College in New York, which is attached to Columbia University. And uh, the line she would say, uh, you know, when we were with her Ivy League, uh, Ivy League friends would be, you know, he's not Ivy League material, mm. whatever that means. Well, you know, uh, very it was a way to put you in your place and always mm. being somewhat the outsider. Um, you know, I've known people who've gone to very, you know, top universities in the country. Um, I mean, my wife is a Harvard graduate uh, and, you know, supremely intelligent, but uh, there's always that academic and intellectual insecurity, I think, and that's traced back to, uh, growing up, the family issues and the trauma too. Yeah. Um, and I don't think we ever, we might get over that, but we'll never forget it. Mm. Get over it versus forgetting it. <laughs> you know, um, two things came up as you said that, and I want to, let me write this, get over it. Uh, when you talked about 
Um, your father, that quote you said, he said to you, you don't have much of a brain. You better learn to use your hands. Do, did you ever have a chance later to talk to your father about? No. No, no. No, he um, he deserted the family. Um, but no, I, um, no, uh, nor do I, did I ever want to. Um, I always thought, well, geez, I graduated from high school and it wasn't until, uh, I was in the army that I took some college courses just because I had some free time at the university of Maryland's branch overseas in Europe. And I did well and I had the GI bill. So I figured, okay, I'll go to college for free, uh, which was great. And that validation, I think um, the reason I even pursued a doctorate was because I needed that validation. Also, uh, teaching, if you had a doctorate, you made a a substantial Mm. amount of money more than if you just had your master's. So it was economically advantageous to me, but um, it's that validation. Okay, you know, um, I had one woman ask me once, uh, she got into an argument. She said, what do you think you are, some sort of PhD? I didn't know what to say, Ashanti. So I went to the other room. I looked at the wall. There was a diploma on it. And it said, according to the University of Houston, I was some sort of PhD. I pointed that out to her. I also pointed out that she wasn't. Mm. And uh, uh, last time I saw her, believe it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Safe to say that was a close. It was was a. some writing on the wall, huh? Literally, uh, literally and figuratively, yeah, right? Figuratively, right? Yeah. Man, but, um, I think is, um, you know, I think that insecurity is always going to be there too. Yeah. Um, but you know, as you know, you, both you and I are Fulbrights, and you know that was kind of like the punctuation yeah. on the. Uh, Okay, you want to call me stupid? Well, I have a Fulbright, and you don't. Okay. Yeah. Um, but and I wonder, even you know, and so uh, thank you for sharing that story because I think that what we think about is it seems like you know for that even that woman who said that thing you're, and for your, your your dad, like if people and people will always try and question our abilities or knowledge, and I think I've I've experienced that, and I think one of the things I Cause they're like, okay, how can I work? Like normally I put on my front of my mask, I'm a hard worker because I, I believe I am. And I think I always feel like I, I can, I'm always trying to like prove that, that I am worthy. I think uh, when I think about that insecure and I think about that piece, that word, which resonates with me as well. I think about like, if I work hard enough, then it's going to, it's going to show it. Right. And I wonder for myself, as, as I, as I hear you talk about this and I'm wondering, how often I have like been trying to prove it to myself sometimes, right? Like constantly trying to like, Ashanti, like, yes, you, yes, you are an engineer, but you're a teacher and you love teaching. You don't need to prove to people that you are an engineer who became a teacher, right? You don't have to all like, 
I used to I remember when I first left engineering to become a teacher, I knew the feeling it felt when you told somebody you're an engineer and what how they look at you, right? I knew how they looked at you. I know the there was surprise on their face as they emoted. <laughs> and then when I became a teacher, I saw a different emote, right? And the emote was like, oh, okay. And so then I realized, oh, if I, I need to like qualify the fact that I'm a teacher with me being an engineer. So I would always be like, right. well, you know, I used to work in engineering and now I'm a teacher, right? And I felt like I was doing it kind of like for a self-preservation, almost an ego piece, right? Because I knew what that felt like to have somebody like be like, oh, how, oh, nice to you, teacher. <laughs> like, oh, good job, right? And I, I never felt that as an engineer. I felt like a whole different kind of vibe. And I think, so it's interesting how, you know, how often people in the world, you know, as, you, as a teacher, as I see students who are trying to like go after things that they don't really want, but they feel like they have to because they need to improve or oppress or make somebody else happy. I wonder how often people, I mean, I, I know it happens a lot. I don't know the percentage of that, but how often people get stuck, right? Because what if, what if somebody got into a career that they didn't really want to be in and how long do you stay before you like, this is not enough? Or do you just stay there for the rest of your, your, your life, you know? I don't know how many people, lawyers, whatever, um, uh, are just miserable in their career and they make buckets of money, but they dread going to work. And, you know, people say, well, you have all these degrees, you have all this qualifications, Tim, why are you still in the classroom? Well, I enjoy it and I'm really good at it too. And I think that that's what keeps me in the classroom and not going up to the boardroom. Uh, so, you know, teachers, my wife worked in investment banking for bajillion years, and we used to go to some professional functions and people, oh, Tim, what do you do? Well, I'm a teacher. I, you know, teach uh, at, you know, in the Houston School District. Oh, that's nice. Uh, and walk away uh, because I couldn't advance their career. I always told my wife somewhat uh, semi-seriously that whenever we go to any of her business functions, I should always have my W-2 form uh, stapled to my lapel. And, <laughs> you know, so, um, but, you know, Jenny, um, my wife, Virginia, uh, that didn't make any difference to her how much money I made. Um, I tell the story that um, when we first met, I had a Ford pickup truck and the ignition switch was broken. So instead of going to AutoZone, I'm not plugging AutoZone, um, that, but that's where I do all my holiday shopping. Uh, <laughs> you know, to get an ignition switch, I had a screwdriver and I just popped it and, you know, that was it. And, you know, I picked Jenny up and I started the truck and, she said, you know, uh, why don't you have an ignition switch? And I said, I'm a teacher. Um, and that was okay with her, uh, starting the truck with the ignition switch. Um, yeah. Her father. <laughs> that, that... Her, 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 okay. Her father um, 
we had been going together for close to a year and I met him and, you know, he was in the pickup truck and I started it and I said, you know, this is June or July in Houston. I said, time to turn on the air conditioning. He didn't blink. He just rolled down the window because he knew that my, uh, my air conditioning system <laughs> did, did not exist probably. Yeah. Well, uh, open up both windows, drive fast. That's really awesome. And, I, and I'm, I'm really, and I think com, in comparison to the person who said, you're not a PhD, are you? I think to know that the person who accepted you, the person where you found connection and partnership was a person who was like, Hey, sounds good. It works. Yeah. And I think that is what people I think are looking for. I think young people, I mean, this is imagine now and on the way young people get validation is on these devices. And I love my phone, but I always tell young people about how often, how I never had to worry about impressing somebody out outside of my, if I wanted to impress them, they had to be at my school or somebody I was going to see. Not like people who I'm never going to know who are, you know, mean boy 244. Like I'm not going to have to impress some fictitious person with an emoji as their image. I, and that's a lot of work to be trying to impress people that you don't even know or see or think they're who are real, right? It's hard enough to try and, if you wanted to impress people where you like where, where you are, where I physically am, you know. And I think some sometimes young people today, I think they're when they get sucked into these devices. I think sometimes this idea of like I want to impress somebody outside of my uh, outside of myself, right? And I think what how amazing it could be for young people to just say, you know, I'm going to be happy myself, right? I'm going to just be myself and I'm going to first start there. And then whoever is willing to accept me will accept me. Whoever's willing to accept me will see me and value me. And I think that's so important. And I think what what I'm seeing today more than ever is so many students and young people are not comfortable in their own skin, you know, like they're just, they're always like, who am I having to be around these people, you know? And I saw you, I saw the other day, you sent me a picture, I think I saw of you allowing a student with a sledgehammer to and break a, you know, the how about The, the better nails trick. I've been doing that for, it's the last magic trick of the year. And I had, um, I was teaching at a high school in Houston, uh, John H. Reagan High School. And uh, the woodshop kids needed a final project and so the, one of the two of the guys made me a bed of nails 2088 nails and uh, it demonstrates the law of conservation of energy and I don't think there's enough time for us <laughs> to go over this uh, anyway uh, the I get, get on the bed of nails put a 40 pound block of concrete cinder block on my chest and the, student takes a sledgehammer and breaks it. Well, what it does is it, the energy from the sledgehammer breaks the concrete block. My weight is distributed on over 2000 points. And with the, uh, the population I have right now, all girls are just screaming and yelling and, oh, you're going to die. You're going to die. But it, it, gets their interest. They're going to remember that for the rest of their lives. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. 
<laughs> She's having a good time. Are you supposed to have the goggles on your head? <laughs> yeah, the different strategies now we have to remember that uh, for too many kids too many students their attention span might be measured in nanoseconds so always doing something different and I'm in physics as opposed to other subjects you can actually get these kids doing something whether that's you know, doing the class exper experiment with just pulleys, uh, lifting up the weight with multiple pulleys or whatever, uh, getting them to actually do it as opposed to just sitting there because uh, I learned more actually doing things with my hands and applying the principal physics to that as opposed to just somebody just drawing a picture on the board and this is how it works. Yeah. And I'm definitely a learner like that too. I, I think I'll never forget my uh, high school physics teacher, Mr. Miller. Oh, he was, he was like a, he was like a, a rebel. He was a revolutionary rebel. He had his own little radio station. He had his own little trans. He, he had his own little private radio station. He wouldn't tell you about till you became like a high school graduate. He would tell you his channel because he's like, no, nah, I can't tell you now. You go until you graduate. Then he would tell you the channel. He said, don't tell anybody that like, you can't you can't tell any of the younger kids. Right. This is, has to be like their rites of passage. Right. Um, and he was talking about education and trying to get money more money for education. He, he was a really cool guy. But I remember he had this uh, activity where you sat in this chair and uh, there's a, a bike, a tire, a bike, bike tire. Bike, oh, yeah. A wheel, a wheel of a bike. Angular and momentum. You see, I, I wasn't yeah. even going to claim to even have a title for it. So thank you for that. Um, I'm going to go into the basic description. <laughs> I'm going to go with the basic description. Um, and so he, he would spin it and then you would like, he say, okay, now turn it, like start turning it. And right. you would just, you would start rotating. And like, I, like those are things that I think so many kids need. Like I, I'll never forget. I didn't know the name. I mean, I probably could have looked it up, but I didn't know what it was called, but I'll never forget what the feeling of it, like, Oh my God! This little wheel—I mean, not a wheel. It was a tire, but bicycle it was, tire, right? A bicycle tire. It, it was moving me, and I've been a big kid my whole life, you know. So anything that can move me without like, like some serious force was like, what's going on here? <laughs> and so I think like, how many kids can can we find teachers who are excited about their own teaching? Yeah. To get kids excited about learning, that it looks very different than it did when I was in high school. Like it has to it has to look different. And I told my students when I became a teacher, I'm not going to, first of all, I'm not, I don't have enough energy to be jumping and running around, jumping and making, you know, trying to like match energy from your cartoons. Like, I'm not going to do that. Right. But I am going to do my best to engage you in things that are going to be real life, real world and real experiences. Um, and I think that that's a, a part of the work that is so kind of under, under, undervalued sometimes, right? It's like, how do we get their attention? What, what is the thing that's going to get your attention? And what's it going to get one kid's attention? The other kid is going to be like, that's so dumb. Why I want to sit in a chair and spin around in a chair? Who, you know? So one thing is going to get one kid excited. It won't be the same for the other, but at least it gives a, a, a opportunity for connection. You know, 
And I think we've been talking a lot about this education thing, and I think which is really important. But I want to, as we as we kind of wind down the time, I want to just ask you, what are you what do you envision? You know, schools. How long have you been a teacher? What was your first year teaching? Do you remember? Yeah, um, 1981. 81 was the first year I taught. Um, you know. You've seen lots of transitions in education. Lots well, of... it's always the next best thing uh, coming in. And uh, right now it's, you know, Google Classroom or whatever. But nothing is going to really replace in physics, in my discipline, a teacher coming in and engaging these students and, you know, explaining or giving them an opportunity to actually experience the pulleys or the levers. And those labs go back to, you know, Archimedes. Uh, same, same thing, but it's a principle a lot of these kids don't understand. Or, and by actually doing it, they'll understand it. Uh, you know, why is a car radiator black? as opposed to silver or red or whatever. What well, has to do with black body radiation, and I'm not going to bore you with the details, but uh, black uh, will absorb heat faster than, let's say, white uh, from the car engine, but it'll also lose heat faster. So, you know, making that real to these students, uh, getting them real life experiences. Everyone's going to have a car. You know, why is the radiator black? Well, I can tell you now. Okay, not only can I tell you, but I did that in Dr. Dapani's class. That's it. I, I guess as, as a teacher now, um, and one of the things that maybe in this, as we think about where education is, and I think that, that that's really powerful about physics, I think, as well, like, Google, the Google classrooms, the, the Zoom classrooms, all the things we had to do to make learning happen. And, and, During and, uh, COVID, yes. Yeah. I imagine even for, like, did you, how did you do that? How did you, how did you do the pandemic teaching? Did you know? I was actually at the uh, juvenile detention center at ah, that yes. time. Yeah. And we actually went in during COVID. Uh, and that was uh, an experience too. But uh, when the vac vaccines first came out, you know, county employees were at the t top of the list. I, I think we got them before anybody else in the world, perhaps. Um, but I think we're still seeing the effects of that too. Yeah. Uh, you know, you just can't, the students just aren't gonna learn as much watching uh, watching me on the screen as opposed to actually doing something, yeah, um, engaging them. Um, you know, I'd I'd love to sit down with you across uh, the table, Ashanti, but you know we're halfway across the country. Yeah. Uh, but you know, this is a you know that this is how we can connect right now, and yeah. I think having a connection, a direct connection with the students. That's important too, because so many of our students, especially in the inner city, this teacher might be the only stable person they, they see every day. Yeah. Yeah. How have you, how have you found, um, 
I mean, I guess as we think about our mask, you and I shared our mask here publicly. But, you know, when we come to a school, students, they have their mask on. Right. And so, you know, and we and we talk about masks as being not anything wrong with being having a mask. It's just do you have a place to take it off? Do you have a place to talk about those things that you may not regularly let people see, but that people that could help you benefit, take some of that steam off, right? I think as we talked about at the beginning of the show, like how many young people, especially you're in all girls school now, but I would say like when you worked with more co-ed audiences or more at the juvenile detention center, um, like how have you seen those masks show up in the classroom? Like how, just if you think about the metaphor, how have you seen it show up and maybe what were ways that you found ways of helping students to like let you in a little bit? to be able to help teach them. Cause some students are not going to learn from you unless they can have a connection with you. And some, some kids would do the work even if you don't show up, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think it's important that the teacher in my class, the, you know, we will break, break uh, up for labs every, every day, uh, every other day. And I'll circulate between groups and just saying, hey, how's it going? What are you doing? Do you understand this? Um, you know, showing some interest in what the kid is doing. Yeah. And I think having that connection, um, you know, students are much more apt to come to you with their masks off. Uh, you know, sometimes when they do take the masks off, it is not a pleasant experience that they want to share with you but it's a cry for help and from there um we are in many cases legally bound to refer them to uh, the social workers or the administration or law enforcement too Uh, you know i don't i've had a few students you know who were comfortable had a were comfortable enough with me to share that they were being abuse sexually and you know red flags go off immediately um and we are in the state of texas i'm sure the same in california if a student tells you that you you are legally bound to document it and refer it to social workers children's protective services law enforcement whatever yeah yeah the mandated reporters those are it really is a, it's an important responsibility. And, and sometimes those spaces are the kids need to have to talk about those things in a deep way. Uh, there was a, there's something I thought was coming to my mind, like as you becoming an educator, as you, you know, went to the army and found out like you were good at school and then you decided I'm going to take some classes and I'm going to keep going. Was there a teacher who like in maybe K-12 before you got to the army and you were taking those classes, was there a teacher that you remember that really stood out to you? Oh yeah. Um, Mr. Sala, uh, Robert Mm -hmm. Sala, uh, the biology teacher at Mm -hmm. Stratford high school. And he was, uh, he had only been teaching a few years. So he was younger than some of the other teachers, but, he actively engaged with the students, and uh, we did, I don't know how many labs, uh, you know, let's go look at a tree or, or something like that. Let's go collect soil samples. Well, you know, you dig up, uh, you know, by the baseball field or some, something like that, the PE field. 
doing soil samples. And he really uh, inspired me in a sense that, okay, it's okay to go beyond the book uh, because biology can be really boring. Uh, you know, the Krebs cycle is just, oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to bring that up in a cocktail party. <laughs> But actually, he was actually able to motivate many of us in high school. So um, he was the teacher who stands out. Nice. In fact, uh, geez, it was about 20 years after I graduated from high school. Um, I went back to the high school and uh, my hometown. I was visiting my mother. And I said, I'm going to go see Mr. Sala, schools in session. So, and I went there and I thanked him for what he did or how he taught. Nice. Mm, I, mean, I imagine he, uh, yeah. Yeah, I imagine he was really appreciating that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And if he's ever watching this, uh, Robert Sala, thank you. Yeah. I thank all the teachers out there who are helping kids navigate the world and, in ways that they may not be able to do on their own. Tim, as we, as we close up, is there any last words you have, you want to say about this mask experience? How was this for you? This is your first time on a podcast, but also, you know, you were asked to, you know, it took me, um, took me a while, Ashanti. It really did. Um, not the front of the mask. Okay. Um, I'm happy, uh, educated. I'm a teacher. But the back of the mask, uh, three words that you don't necessarily share with people. Insecure, you know. Um, yeah. Um, family issues. Uh, my younger son, you know, the reason he wasn't able to come to India is because he has special needs. He's 22. He's nonverbal. Uh, and that's something I just, I'm not ashamed of it, of course, but it's something that you know, we deal with every day, uh, and past trauma too. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, I don't think I'm unique in that. Thank you. Thank you for, thank you for those words. And I'm, what I'm hoping is that in this conversation that that more men out there in the world will realize that you're not alone. I, I mean, I think, I think you are unique. I think, but we're maybe in, but it behind the mask stuff, we're not unique in the things that we've been right. through it. And I think it would help us if we knew that there were other men in our community. If you were a man, if you're a woman, it, like the other people in your community who are probably going through things you're going through, but we've been maybe taught or trained that no one wants to hear it. So therefore we bottle it up, we stuff it, we repress it. And hopefully we can keep going while we're repressing all of these things that are happening. And what we know is that some people can't. And uh, this conversation has been around making space for people all over the world to realize they're not alone. So I want to thank you for sharing some of your masks with us today. And as you, as the students that you work with, as you get ready for next school year, are you on summer break yet? Or are you getting close? Uh, actually, Friday's our last day here. So. <laughs> you almost forgot. That's like two days away. <laughs> no, for Friday. Friday's manana. Well, it's tomorrow. <laughs> right. Oh. Man, you're, Wait, like, you're, you're in a time warp, Ashanti. 
<laughs> I feel like it sometimes. Right. I tell you for sure. Right. Well, have a great summer break, and maybe next year, as your school comes back, maybe um, the mask movement is something that could benefit teachers and students in those spaces, right? To recognize, I'm not alone. Like I'm going well, through stuff. We yeah. have a teacher. I uh, refer to teacher here at Incarnate Word to you. Great. Uh, and a lot of this deals with men, but I think women, uh, it also applies to. Absolutely. Oh, we make masks with everyone. So absolutely. Yeah. The, we have masks that are from everyone and from all over the world. So I look forward to that. And I just want to say thank you for being on the show it is so oh. good. I, I almost I, I forget that we had Zoom. We could have seen each other a long time ago, but I've not seen you in so long. But I'm so it was such a pleasure. Oh, love to, you, love you, Shanti. Love uh, you too, brother. Hey Tim, you know, as we close up, is there any way um, you would like people to, if they want to follow up with you? Would you have a, a way of them contacting you? I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Tim DePonte, right. and uh, that'd probably be the easiest way to do that. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, the personal email, we might not want to share that with. No worries. We'll just do we'll, LinkedIn. Okay. We'll, we'll just put the link for the LinkedIn. Yeah, just, just the LinkedIn. Okay. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. And folks, if you want to make a mask out there, Tim and I shared our mask um, uh, publicly, but you can do it also anonymously at millionmask.org. Uh, we are appreciating you for being a part. Please, if you or found this episode inspiring. Maybe there's a teacher you know who needs to hear some of these words from these two teachers talking uh, about their own masks. Maybe you can share this episode with them. Um, you can review us on um, Apple Podcasts. Um, and we look forward to you being a part of the next episode. So thank you so much. And we'll see you soon, folks. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Love you, Shanti. Love you too, brother. Taking Off The Mask podcast is produced by Ryan Louie. Editing videography is also by Ryan Louie. Graphics by Kelly Wong. And a special thanks to the team at Ever Forward, Vanessa Cortez and Kevin Romero. And I'd like to thank everyone who's been a part of the creation of this podcast. As we hit this one-year anniversary, we hope that everyone who's been a part knows that they're a part of the Taking Off The Mask experience. And we look forward to you being a part of it as well. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe, and share. And we look forward to us continuing to offer conversations that matter. Take care. See you soon.